folks, welcome back. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Hey, I just wanted to let you know that you are a high performance human, which you might not accept straight away. But let me tell you this the concept of high performance can be described as a measurable state where an individual consistently performs at a higher level of operational success compared with most of their peers within the same environment at a particular time. And it's a relative, not an absolute measure. So if you're an endurance athlete and you train and or compete regularly, please don't just compare yourself against those other athletes. Instead, think about all of the other folks of your age. Compared to them, you are operating at a very high level. Now, I appreciate that you might still have areas that you'd like to work on. And if so, then we'd love to help you. Could be sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships or work habits. Beth and I both have availability at the moment to take on a couple of clients. And my wife is a certified life coach. So she's an expert at helping folks out with those relationship and work habit things. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, We've got you covered, and you can find contact details in the show notes below. Right then, today's guest is back. Dr. Dan Plews is one of our most popular guests, and he returns to the show today after a couple of years to talk about his recent sub-eight-hour performance at Ironman California. Now, if you haven't heard of Dr. Dan, then you really need to catch up, because he has a huge influence on triathlon performance. As an elite coach, he's worked with some super athletes, including 2022 Ironman world champion Chelsea Sodaro, among others. He's a world leader of research into nutrition and sports performance, as well as heart rate variability, and he's got many published papers to his name. He's also got his own coach education company, Endure IQ, which creates and delivers courses to help educate triathlon coaches. So he's a busy lad. And as well as that sub eight hour performance, we get into topics like how he finds balance and why commitment to a goal means saying no. Back-to-back training for time management, how you can always find marginal gains, the role of carbohydrate in triathlon performance and why the low-carb, high-fat approach works for him and how it can work for you. Finally, Dan also delivers a huge surprise to me, which knocked me off my stride as he declares his newfound love for strength training. He's right up there with some of the smartest people I know. And on top of that, he's a Yorkshire lad. So it's always a pleasure to welcome him back to the show. So let's crack on and hear from Dan. Oh, welcome back, Mr. Dan Plews from New Zealand. Yeah, thanks, Wally. Good to be back. It is. I think this takes you back to the top of the leaderboard with uh, the the prof. That, uh, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. You're on top of the leaderboard in terms of returning guests. In terms of returning guests, yes. We'll have to yeah. see about how many minutes you've both had and, you know, who really is top of the leaderboard. <laughs> Not that everything's a competition, of course. No, just some things, including who's been on the show most. <laughs> yeah, well, everything between me and Prof is, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, don't worry. He always asks me when I've had you on and when I'm back on, so I'll have to, I'll have to find a, a reason to get him back on, which just then gives me a chance to get you back on. And, of course, as you yeah. know, I love sport, speaking to the Yorkshiremen. Still the fastest yeah. Yorkshireman in Kona. I still am. Still am. I know. Well, well, well yeah. Well, I don't. I don't think Alice will, will last the racing it this year. We'll see. I don't know if it's going to. Um, let's see how long it holds. 
Yeah, well, that's another thing. But let's talk about Iron Man because uh, you've not exactly been idle, have you, since we last chatted? Um, you had a great season last year. And one of the reasons I wanted to catch up was because of this amazing performance you had at Iron Man California at the back end of the year. Um, so t- tell me a little bit about tell me a little bit about 2023 for you and you know how whether that was all rolling to a big performance at the end of the year or whether that was a, just a bonus. Yeah, for sure. So I guess to wind the clock back a little bit more, I mean, since um, when I finished Kona in 2018, I haven't, I actually haven't really raced since. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of, I was always, always planned to, to, to probably stop racing after that. And I didn't, I hadn't do any racing. I did one race in 2020, which was the, um, I did the Taupo 70.3 race. And the reason I did that is because that year, the um the world championships were supposed to be in Taupo of course mm-hmm. now it's this year it's in 2024 <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I wanted to um I wanted to do that race with my dad so he was he wanted to race it it was in New Zealand so my dad was like oh it'd be nice if we can do it together so um I did that race just to get a qualification spot for that race so you know that's it between 2018 and 2023 that was actually the only race I I did um but I guess I think in my heart of hearts, there was always something inside me that figured I wasn't really done because, you know, I kept on ticking over with the swim, bike and run all the time, you know, and I was just, you know, kind of a lifestyler, really doing a bit of swimming, doing a bit of biking, doing a bit of running. And um, and then when I turned um, when I turned 40 in 2022, so October 2022, I kind of, you know, I, I realized that I wasn't really, you know, although I'm very fast in Kona, I hadn't really done a very fast time. So I'd only ever done Ironman New Zealand. I'd only ever done Ironman Kona, which are two notoriously quite slow races. Mm. Um, and I and I figured that, you know, I wouldn't really be happy if I finished um, racing without having at least done as fast a time as I possibly could. So I made, um, so, you know, I talked with Kate, my wife, and we made the, and I, we made the decision together that um, 2023, would be a year where I try and um I try and do a really fast time. So that's what that's what it was all about. And um, you know, I started off the year. So I did, I kind of I made that decision. Eight weeks later, I did um Ironman New Zealand. So the full Ironman in New Zealand, because that had rolled over since March. So there was one in December. So I did that race and I I went, I can't remember what time I did now. I think it was 8 50 or something like that. Um, but it was a lot slower than what I'd done previously. So I was like, nah, well, so hopefully there's still something in there. It was a very wet and rainy, windy day. So I was um I still won it overall, which was which was a bonus. And then I but with their main aim was that I thought I'd kind of targeted Roth um as the race to do as the fast mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Um but unfortunately, you know, I had a really I had a great build-up to Roth, and then about six weeks out, I got an Achilles injury. So I didn't manage to run for another three to four weeks. And um, and with that, um, it kind of ruined my... I still did okay at Roth. I did 8.18, which was my fastest ever time, but it was a, it's obviously a very fast course. And um, mm-hmm. but I, I left that race a little bit unsatisfied still. Um, so then I made a decision that I was going to do try and just do one more. And um, that 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 was um, Ironman California, which I'd, you know, I'd, I'd looked around at different courses. I'd, I knew it had to be at the end of the year. Um, and there was really there was Arizona, there was um, California, and there was Florida. Um, Ironman, not and, Cozumel. Um, oh yeah, Cozumel as well was another option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I um, 
the reason I went with California was because it from New Zealand it was the easiest race to get to. Like in terms of um in terms of it was one flight over to San Francisco. And it was pretty simple. So yeah. So uh, I know a lot of coaches talk about this that that what's important is executing the race the race right. But you've talked a lot about having a fast race here. It is that more satisfying the time that you see when you cross the finish line? Or is it more satisfying to know that you did everything right? You got your pacing right, your nutrition right, your lead up right, you know, your transitions, the position out of the swim and all of that stuff. Or is it a combination yeah, well, of both? I've, I figured I've, I've done that a few times. I've executed a lot of good races, you know, and like, and even if I look back in the last 10 years, I've I've really never really had a bad race. Not, not very seldom had bad races. And I've always... Execution's always been one of my um fortes, I like to I like to think. Um so so for this time it was it was really all about doing a, a fast time for me. You know, obviously and, and to do that I'd figured out that obviously I have to be do the preparation right and get everything get everything in get everything in line to achieve that. But um but for this particular instance it was all about a fast time. And um, you know, there's a there's a book called Die with Zero, and it's all about it's like all the it's about it's about choosing when you want to do things in life to to for fulfillment right so if you like if i want to go down if one of my big goals is to go down and do a cruise down the nile for example i can do that when i'm 70 i can do that at any point but i i felt that for my fulfillment i wanted to do a fast ironman time and that meant mm-hmm. that it was either now or never never you know i couldn't i couldn't do that in five years time probably um mm-hmm. so i had to so i made the decision that you know it was a kind of do or die year that i was that was going to be it okay so the next question is then what constitutes a fast time because i'm listening to you saying well i you know did, you did the, um 824 i think in kona that year you won and then 818 in roth so yeah. you know they're pretty fast and most people <laughs> that are listening to this would give the right arm and the right leg to have a time like that yeah, yeah. So what, yeah, well, what, well, I guess const- my, my secret const- screw was always to get as, as close to eight hours as I possibly could and, okay. and, and hopefully maybe dip under it. So I spoke with um when I was when I was doing my initial investigations, I'm I'm good friends with um Forston Rad from Tri Rating, if you yep. if you know who does it here. So so I had a few back and forth with him and I was like, you know, what do you think? Have you got any ideas? Because it's not just about choosing a very fast course. You also want to choose a course with a low, like standard deviation of times, right? So you want one that's fast, but also consistent. So you can, so like, for example, Cozumel is a course that can be very fast, but it can also be very, very slow because um, it can get very hot. It can get very windy. So on a cool, not windy day, very fast, Mm -hmm. but it Mm -hmm. can also have very bad weather as well and be very, and be the total opposite. So, um, and what Thorsten said, he said, well, based on your time in um, what you did in Kona, you know, even if you did Western Australia, for example, course alone, that's about 20 minutes. So, okay. you know, if you if you were in the same shape and you did that same execution, you would, you know, potentially go 804. So, of course, when he says 804, I'm thinking, well, you know, a bit fitter, dip, you know, tweak the aerodynamics and, you know, a bit of equipment and whatnot, you know, potentially I could get under, I could get under eight, so... Right, so um, we can talk about the race in a minute. But you, you you did go under eight hours, but you got. I 
well, what I saw, maybe it wasn't a lot of stick, maybe it was just the stuff I saw. There was a lot of trolls giving you some grief, which obviously yeah, you yeah, had no control over, over the fact yeah. that the swim was, I don't think it was short, but it was super fast because of the current. Now, that's yeah. not something you can control when you have to race the conditions you're given. And if you'd come across a day when it had had really, really high winds, your time would have been a lot slower, which would have yeah, not I mean, to your goal. I so mean, how do you how do you respond to things like that? Which yeah, yeah. it's a diff- it's a difficult one because I mean I agree, of course the that that was a massive part of it, and and you know if you look at the times without that, I probably wouldn't have gone under, under eight hours. But you know it's like we we can also come back to you know I, I did it. I, I was still very happy with what I did on that that day. Right, it was mm-hmm. my fastest ever bike time. It was my fastest ever run time. Um, the run was actually 42.8 kilometers. Um, the bike was very windy as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And on, especially on the way back on the, on, on the way out on the second lap, it, the wind really got up. It absolutely poured with rain on the run, like to the point and where the, there was a, obviously the road was a river and it was very, very slippy. And, um, and there was 10 minutes worth of transitions. Right. So, so, you know, you, you take, you tell you what you want and, you know, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I, I'm just. I was just happy with with what I did on the day, and that, and you know, you can only do what you can do. And of course, mm. you know, I knew it was going to be a fast swim because I knew it was downstream, but I never expect. And I think I was. I was somewhat slightly disappointed that it was um, that it was a 36 minute swim because that was a little bit <laughs> a little bit too far the other way. But at the same time, you know, I, I, there was other things on that course that made it a lot slower as well. So yeah, mm. it just mm. um, yeah, there was. It's a. It was a. It was a very funny response, right? But I think that's kind of kind of human nature. Yeah. Yeah, and the same the same people who I, I think I might have tried to. I, I went on once and defended you on this one, but somebody was saying, "Yeah, well, he's not even an age group athlete. He's a full time pro." I'm like, "Well, he's a father of two. He's forty, and he's got a full time job, and he's doing a lot of research. That <laughs> he's not really a pro athlete, is he?" But um, no, no, definitely not a pro athlete. <laughs> yeah. Probably and also and like. Got, you, yeah, you, with you, the, I, the also the, the point with that is you've got to you also have to think of that within the context of it's all very well saying that but mm-hmm. you have no most people have no idea what my day to day life is no. and then also you you've got to think of that within the context of what I've done in the past five years so mm-hmm. since 2018 I've done one race mm-hmm. and then I've done and then I've I've started racing again in 2023 I don't know which point in that five years I would have turned pro because I wouldn't have been you know with no racing I'd be a very poor pro. <laughs> You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like most pros, really. Then, yeah, you know, like most pros. But um, yeah, it's um, it's an it is is. I mean, it was um, it blew my mind. I mean, that that response from from that race was um, interesting. That's for sure. But, Do um, you? I've, I've seen. Um, I can't remember where it was. One of the try um, online try magazines just saying that this, you know, obviously this is the fastest ever age group time over an Ironman distance. Is that is that? Is that something that gets ratified as a world record in the same no. way that Tim Dunn's and, and, and no, uh, Brazil race did? And nah, no, it doesn't. And you know, I've, if you've ever looked at any of my social media or anything that I've said, I've never, I've never claimed that title no. myself, and I no. don't intend to either. Um, no, it's you know, to the, the point where one of my people, sponsors said they wanted to do, um, they wanted to do like a, a breaking video and stuff about, and I said, nah, I'm not comfortable with doing that. I don't, I don't really want to do it. So. You know, it's not um, it's not it's not a title that I'm um, going to be going to be advertising myself. <laughs> well, it's always it's sort of clickbait that people like me use to get them to get to get folks to listen to the podcast. But rest assured, Dan, we won't be doing that. Yeah, yeah, but it, and that's what it is. I mean, that's what it, 
that's what magazines did, right? They used mm. it as clickbait to get people reading their articles, and lo and behold, hold it worked. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just have still the fastest man in Kona, right? Which is true. Yeah, yeah. Fastest <laughs> Yorkshireman. Fastest Yorkshireman. Yeah, fastest in Kona. Yorkshireman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I, you t- you talked a little bit about your um your day to day life, which you know I've got a bit more of an insight into because we chatted regularly, and I've known you since you were eighteen as well. So I also know about you your history and your time in the sport and everything else. Um, but for those people who don't, um, let, let's talk about, let's talk about your life, you know, um, what you do for a job and then y- your family. And then let's talk about how you balance, how you find time to fit the training in, which gives you these amazing performances. Cause I think that'll probably blow people's minds a little. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have, I have a number of jobs actually. So, I'm, um, so obviously I coach a lot of pro pro athletes, um, coach, I run a business Endure IQ, which, um, is education and, um, basically education and coaching. So that's, um, so that takes up a lot of my time, obviously, as you know, what it's like to run your own business. We've got, um, you know, we've got five members of staff and, you know, running, running that and making sure everything's running smoothly on there. Um, I'm also a, a researcher, uh, so I'm a, a PhD doctor at, doctor at AUT University where I have um PhD and master's students to supervise so that's another part of it and um and then I'm also I'm also involved with a few other companies as well um so S Fuels the nutrition company Pillar Performance where I'm the head of research um so there are two two other two other gigs that I um that I partake in and then the last one where I'm still involved in the Olympic sport is I'm the head of physiology for the women's Olympic kayak program so um so yeah between all that it's um it's a busy day job <laughs> but I mean it's all it's all um I mean it's all in the same sphere but it's all um mm. um you know there's a lot there's a lot going on with that so um you know typically before I'm in California I was training about 20 hours a week um, was my typical typical duration, and the way I mean, I wrote I wrote about this in um, in in uh, when, it, when I think it was in Triathlete Magazine that I was interviewed, and you know, and I said he asked me a bit about balance, and I said I don't really fully believe in balance that much because I don't think during 2023 I was really that balanced. You know, I had no social life at all, and everything mm-hmm. was just work, family, and training. You know, I, I wouldn't I didn't go out once, and very early mornings to bed early. You know, no socializing. Um, and, and, and even on the business side, I made a decision that things were going to be very stagnant for 2023 and there was going to be no growth, you know, so I didn't, there was no new initiatives. There was no new courses. There was nothing new. It was all, everything was in place. And so everything, I I made the decision that everything was going to maintain status quo and I was going to just keep, you know, keep things ticking over, so to speak, and not, not grow, um, because it was just, so in that side, the business definitely took a, a, a little bit of a backseat, but you know, you when you can, it's the difference between doing new initiatives and building new things is very time consuming. Whereas when you when you've got the ball rolling and you're just keeping things ticking over, it's a bit different. Um, so yeah, and, and the idea was that you know you, you focus it from a year, and then this year I, I kind of switch gears, and I'm gonna you'll, you'll you'll be seeing a few more initiatives and. And mm-hmm. stuff like that. And even like last year, I hardly did any podcasts or any advertising or anything like this because I just didn't really have the time for it. So, um, so yeah, so then, so, so it's like, it's, I always believe in balancing counterbalance. Like you, it's not like, I don't think you can achieve everything all at the same time, right? But if you choose periods of your life where you want to focus on different things, things become a lot, a lot easier. So, 
So that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I I, I totally understand. I think we might have covered this before because um, you know this whole di- idea of balance. Or, or maybe, actually, it was a previous guest, not you. Another guest said, I, "I'm not sure about balance." And I said, "Well, you stand on a you stand on a one of those strap lines, right? You might if you when you're first starting on it." you might be able to find balance for just a second and then you fall off, but you know, you've fallen off and you also know you need to regain your balance. When you get a bit more proficient, you can stand on it for longer, but you're never really truly in balance. You're wobbling around. And then as you get a bit more proficient, you get more balance, but you always know when you're off balance and you always know how to correct it. And I think something that I'm always keen to emphasize when I'm talking about what it is to be a high performance human is, you know what your sweet spot is for what you want to do. And you know where you're not in your sweet spot, but you also know how to get back there. So you have the mindfulness to be aware of where you're at in all of those positions. So I think I actually think what you've said there makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think you've also said something really pertinent to age group athletes who have ambitions to do their first Ironman or go sub 10 hours, for instance, is in order to commit to something like that, you have to be prepared to take away from something else. You can't sort of be in the throes of starting a new business or getting married and wanting to do some 10 hours because exactly. it's just not going to work and it'll all fall apart. And it's, again, you made a conscious decision like, okay, if I want to, if I want this to happen, then this is not going to happen. But, but, and probably you had some very deep conversations with the other people in those businesses to just let them know where you were at, which I think is also, yeah. um, uh, exactly. quite important. Yeah. it's about communication, isn't it? And a great example of that was um, I met. So I now work with Pillar Performance as a head of head of nutrition. Um, sorry, head of research. And um, and I met with Damien, the CEO, in um, March 2023. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to start, and I said no, I'm, I, I can't start. I'm an, I'll start after you know when I'm done this year, when I'm done with my racing. And you know that, and that's just a, a prime example of how mm-hmm. you know you've just got to put things on hold for a little bit. And people generally understand. And in fact, you know, nine times out of ten most people will um in business they will they will really appreciate your honesty because the worst thing you can do is you know under you know under you know not not give not like not give them what they want you know and then mm-hmm. you just and if you just say hey i'm not going to be able to deliver on that and it's much better than saying you can deliver on it and then you're just hopeless right so yeah and and and, it, and if i look back over my career and, and like if you, you you'll know you'll know what is that you know until i did my masters at leeds i was very triathlon focused and at that mm-hmm. point there i then completely really switched gears until i did my masters i focused on education and then all the way through until um until about 2014 i, I did my phd i've really focused on my career did my education finished my mm-hmm. phd in 2013 mm-hmm. and then from that point there i kind of switched gears a little bit more um, I had a secure job. It was things were rolling nicely. I then focused on triathlon again, and I did Kona. Did 2018 after Kona, I totally stopped training or stopped racing, and then mm. I focused back on business, built Endure IQ, did everything that I've mm. done in that space, and then 2023, I then you know everything was set in terms of the business, and I moved back to doing Ironman a bit more as well. Yeah, and I I think that's really important is understanding what you need to do in order to make certain things happen and what you can't do in order to allow those to happen. But then having yeah. the conversations and the communication t- so that everybody else knows where they stand. And it's uh, something I use a lot is this is all a goodwill loan, right? Y- you're getting goodwill from people who are giving you space to be able to do that, but that's still got to be repaid at some time, whether it's the people you work with or your family. 
you know, yeah, it's exactly. you've, you've got yeah. you've got to then take the time afterwards to not do quite as much swim, bike, and run, so you can spend time yeah. with your kids and invest yeah. the time back into those businesses. The way the way I would structure my my days was I was I would basically I would I I do literally back to back training all the time. So I wouldn't space my training out. I would cram it all into the mornings, you know. So you know, I'd be in the pool at five thirty. Yeah, I'd swim from five thirty till seven. I'd be straight out, and by the I'd be doing the next session by eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd have like a little bit of time with the kids and then jump onto the next session. And, and then I'd be done by by 10, 10.30, then I could get into the work day. I found that to be much more efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, I never had to catch anything up at night. I could do so after the kids went to bed. Um, but, you know, and I'd try and be done by 4.30. I'd have, you know, I'd have a hard stop at 4.30 so I could spend time with the family until 7, mm-hmm. 7.30, get the kids to bed. And then if I needed to catch anything up, I would. Mm-hmm. um but i found that to be much more efficient than trying to you know do a session in the morning and then a session in the afternoon and a session in the evening you know just i'm i was fortunate that i don't have to you know i can kind of manage my own time a lot so that's mm-hmm. i think that did make life a lot easier but of course there's lots of lots of triathletes out there who run their own um who run their own schedule better better on your sleep as well if you can get your training done in the morning i think yeah 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 exactly and i, I just find it's like you know it's done and then you just focus. I, I can't. I always find that it takes you a good thirty minutes to kind of. You sit down at your desk. It takes you thirty minutes to get back into it. You mm-hmm. know? So I just found that was a lot much more efficient way of doing things. Well, and of course, very specific to triathlon, having things back to back, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know, I know. Yeah, it, it does help. I think. <laughs> um, one of the, I remember one of the sessions I did. I remember it was like um, I did. Um, I just don't know why I, my my little girl. She started school. She started school this year, and um, and. We had to go have a meeting at the school when she was first starting and uh, we were sat there and I think the meeting was at like um, quarter to 11 or something like that or 10.30 and that morning I'd got up, I'd swam 5k, I'd got out and I swam and then I ran 25k and by the time I was sat in this meeting at 10.30, mm-hmm. um, I was... <laughs> I'd run 25k and swam 5k and and it's funny how things just, which is mad, it's absolutely madness, but things just normalise in your mind to what's to what's normal you know it's like the trap the the training for an Ironman is just is it, it normalizes in your mind to and it's actually a crazy amount when you get to the point in where you think a three-hour ride's just an easy day mm-hmm. you know <laughs> well and even to the point where age group triathletes say to people yeah I'm having a I'm having a just ticking over at the moment I'm, I'm only doing six or eight hours a week even for a lot of elite sports but six to eight hours a week of conditioning yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is an yeah. awful lot isn't it yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we look at women's kayak that I work in, you know, a big week for them is, you know, 12 hours, you know? Yeah. So and they're, and they're full-time Olympic athletes. Mm. So then you get a triathlete who wouldn't even who wouldn't even sniff at 12 hours. That would be like just almost that would be it would be more than a recovery week. It'll probably be something that you do after the week after an Ironman for a lot of people, you know? <laughs> so. Um let's talk talking of sleep then. Did did your sleep get compromised or did you make did you make that a central focus so that you were always getting the, a decent recovery? Yeah, I think um my sleep was always pretty good. I'm I know that I have to I can function pretty well in 7 to 8 hours a night. I think if it gets um anywhere between between 7 and 8, I obviously try and get closer to the 8, but when you're getting up at 5:30 it's it's pretty well I was getting up at 5 and that's it gets pretty tricky. Mm. But um I, I didn't say my I think you get into the routine. I mean, I made the habit of getting up at the same time every single day of the week, and I found mm-hmm. that makes a big difference. I think 
the the real trick comes when you um when you have a lion at the weekends and it just totally throws you off you know yeah yeah so yeah 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 i, I wonder sometimes whether to to avoid the lion and then just have a nap during the middle of the day to catch you yeah i think i think it's a little bit better if you really need it yeah so i mean i remember that the, the hardest part i remember every saturday i would do my quite big session on a saturday so you know i'd be out i'd leave the house at you know, six thirty, and I'd be finishing training by 12, 1 o'clock. You know, because it would do a long bike and a big runoff, and then, um, and, and then by that time, you know, Kate had had the kids all morning, and then she'd be like, oh, "Okay," you know, she'd give me like an hour to get my stuff together, and then, then, then I'd have the <laughs> look after the kids, and that was so, that was so hard, <laughs> so tiring. Okay, but, um, kids, Daddy's got this two thousand piece jigsaw for you to do. <laughs> yeah, anyone, anyone want to watch a movie? <laughs> yeah, cinema, anyone? <laughs> Let's watch Snow White, the bit where she goes yeah. to sleep. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, just um, you've been in this game for a long time, Dan. You know, I know you've you've said that you've had sort of spells of really being engaged in triathlon spells when you've been ticking over, but one of the questions always comes to mind for me for, for folks who've been around in the game a long time is when you target a race, how much do you need to return to that high volume stuff? You know, does your body forget when you stop doing it or do you need, you need to do some of it, but maybe not quite as much as somebody who's just starting out. Um, I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, I've, it's, it's I've, I've seen both aspects of it. So like, um, you know, I coach Javier Gomez you know, I've definitely discovered with him. He's someone who does not need very much volume anymore. You know, mm. and um, even when I look at someone like Cameron Brown, I think, you know, not that he made any mistakes as he got older, but like I always questioned why he was doing so much volume as he was getting so much older. Mm. But I think it's um, it, it's a question of how. Mu- I think there's a particular amount of volume that is required to do well mm. in Ironman, right? So if you're you can, you can do very well at twenty to twenty five hours a week. You know, twenty hours a week you can do very very well. But I think, um, you know, the elites, they're probably going 20 to 25 to 30. I think when you're an older elite, you can definitely go back to 20 to 25 and you'll be totally fine. Mm. But I don't think that same elite could do 15 and be get away with it. You, right. you know, I think there's there's like a, there's a very hard threshold of volume that I think is required to do well. Mm. Once you get, if you're getting into the 15s and you're expecting to do well at an elite and a high level, I think it's pretty unlikely. But you'd mm. certainly, as you've, as you get older, you don't need to be closer to the thirties. Whereas I think, you know, earlier in your career and if you're, if you're wanting to be professional, you wanting to be elite and you want, you have high aspirations, you likely do need to do periods of mm. higher volume, 25 to 30 hours, you know, let's talk about your training a little bit then. Um, you had that great race in Kona back in 2018. Um, and then you had that period of time out when you came back to doing the training for 2023, was it pretty much the same structure, or did yeah, you very, did you right? Okay, so the structure very similar just... structure. Yeah, the only the only d- big difference that I would say um, the main difference I had between t- two thousand eighteen and two thousand and twenty three, two thousand eighteen I did zero strength training, absolutely zero. Oh, okay, I, yeah, I did. Um, but I did a I've done a lot. I did quite a bit more for this racing. You know, I was doing two sessions a week, um, and I think I think that made it. I think that made a difference. It's funny because I, you know, 2018, I was getting a lot of work all the time. I was seeing osteos, I was seeing physios, 
Um, but I didn't see anyone for two, hardly anyone at all. I was seeing, I was having chats with Brad Beer from time to time. Yeah. Um, just when I had the odd niggle, but I had no body work apart from I had one massage a week, but I didn't see a physio, I didn't see an osteo. And I did, I did regular strength training. And, and you know, <laughs> is that the reason? Who knows? But that's all the physios have been listening to this and thinking, ah. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that, I, is just, I, that is the reality of what happened for me. So I think that if I go back to our previous podcast, um, we covered that subject and you didn't dismiss it, but you, um, you, you weren't sure of the, the importance of strength training in performance. So that's a really significant thing. And I wonder if that's maturity. Is it a change of mindset from you or is it a recognition of the fact that an older body perhaps needs just a little bit more support work? Yeah, I think it's not, I think it's mainly the latter because, Mm. you know, I, I, I do think it's hard. I do still think it's hard to argue, um, the value of strength training across the board because i mean i've worked with a lot of olympic athletes and a lot of world champions you know some of them think strength training is the be all and end all and some Mm -hmm. do zero strength training Mm -hmm. so someone like jan van berkel who i coach you know four-time ironman switzerland winner he would never do any stretching any sorry any strength training any stretching never saw a physio never had a massage and he was as strong as an ox so I think it's um I think it's dependent a little bit on the athlete. Right. And does that come down to just the robustness and just somebody that's got really good biomechanics and good technique? Yeah, may maybe, maybe. Yeah. It, who who knows? I mean, I mean, and yeah, you know, Jan Jan finished his career quite early as well. If he wanted to go into his forties, maybe he might have had to to jump on it. So I don't I mean, uh, have you- so, so let me, if I just, I'll just let you know how. So with my strength training, I mean, it all mm. happened during the COVID period. In that, me mm-hmm. and Kate, we started getting in the in the garage and doing regular gym sessions, and then I just, I just got kind of into it really, and then I kept mm-hmm. on doing it. And and the main difference was I got a lot stronger. And the biggest thing I found was um, I found differences just in my day to day life. Things were a little bit easier because I was a little bit stronger, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I really noticed it. I didn't really notice it so much in my um, in my training and not, but everything else felt easy, you know, picking things up and moving around. Mobility was a bit easier. And, and mm-hmm. I really, I really noticed that. And I think that was one of the the main things. But, but I also think that with what I found personally is that with the strength training, it took me a long time. For, to really see it come through. I would say it was nearly eight months before I really felt it came through into everything else that I was doing in terms of the performance. Yeah. Um, it took it. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that triathletes can get a bit fed up with it because it just takes time. You've just got to be consistent with it. So, and I don't even think it has to be that specific, to be honest. I think you just need to do something. It can be quite easy. I mean, I was just making things up in the gym, you know, <laughs> so then just doing a circuit two times a week. Well, you, I mean, you know, Dan, because we've talked about this. This is my strength training was my background, so I've always been a big advocate of that. Um, but I've, what I've also learned just from speaking to people like you and other coaches is that it's uh, firstly it's individual, as you've just mentioned. Um, secondly, it probably depends upon what stage of life you're in. Um, and thirdly, I think that you know you talked about the kayakers. There's definitely a correlation between if you're stronger, you're probably a better kayaker. You could probably see that. I don't think there's a lot of evidence pointing that if you're better at squatting or doing lunges, that that's going to make you a faster runner or a faster cyclist. Or if you can do more pull-ups, you're going to swim faster. But I do, I do feel that it does exactly what you said. You're more robust, like like with the Katie Ledecky thing we talked about earlier. You can turn up for more sessions, feeling good, mm-hmm. get more work done, recover a bit quicker. So it's and and 
and again, if there's any older athletes listening, you know, the, the older age groups, I think then then there's a human health element to um, yeah, definitely. anti-aging and protection, um, you know, just sure. skeleton so, protection so, there, isn't there? So, um, I mean, two things. So one, like, um, uh, since I've stopped, since I've stopped, now I'm not really racing. I've, I've retired now. I'm not racing, so I'm I'm doing a lot, a lot of strength training. Like that, my aim is to get massive. You know, I've been really, I've been eating a lot. I've been doing six gym sessions a week. You know, and I've been. It's very different to what I normally did. Yeah. It was like it was very sore after training, focusing on two body parts. You know, supersetting, wow. very much like a body a bodybuilding type routine. I've got going six times a week. You know, so I'll do chest and shoulders and then you know and, and it's been really good and i've been living it and you know and what's great about it is i can get like an hour of trade of work and i'm really you know I, I really feel it so you know i put on 10 kilos since i finished um since i finished i'm in california so um you know trying to hit you know, all the proteins and like two um, 200 to 300 grams of protein a day wow. trying to overeat it's totally different and i've really i've been really enjoying it but um, but I think one of the mistakes that triathletes make when it comes to strength training is you have to, my philosophy, and this is what I tell all the strength trainers who work with the athletes that I work with, I say, hey, mm-hmm. your job is to obviously, I want my athletes feeling better than when they leave strength training, they need to feel better than when they went into it. I do not want them feeling mm-hmm. worse or more tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whatever you do, they need to come out of there feeling refreshed, feeling better, feeling stronger, feeling more robust. If they're coming out of there feeling sore, feeling more tired, that's you've hit it wrong it's totally wrong and and i think mm-hmm. that's what you can achieve with strength training i i would often do strength training on my rest day so i do sundays and i would um mm-hmm. i would just do strength training on that day because it actually made me feel better and i would feel more recovered from it so i think i think that's where you can really find the sweet spot with strength training for triathletes you don't need to be doing massive strong heavy weights and being mega sore the next day you can actually feel more you can feel better from it i i think that that point about not well the point about not feeling sore is really really interesting and a, and a really pertinent point um there's a there's an mma coach who's been on the joe rogan show really he gets very very hyper about this whole thing is if you go in the gym and you're coming out feeling sore even if you're you know, you're mega into strength training, you're doing it wrong. You don't need to feel like that. That's a bodybuilding thing. It's about protein degradation and all of that stuff and complete, you know, smashing up the muscles, but that's for a different purpose. And I think that's, that's one of the things that stops endurance athletes going in the gym is they think, Oh, I'm going to be sore, but you shouldn't, you can still build strength without getting to the point where you're so fatigued that you're going to be sore. Um, what you said, the path you're on now sounds like Ryan Hall. Have you have you seen his story? The the ex marathon. I've, 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 I've had a few um I've had a few conversations with Ryan. So it's funny, like um Sarah Hall, his wife, she mm. she messaged me because she she wanted a consult and some help with her heat prep for for the qualification for because the qualification for the marathons in Orlando and she just wanted some help with the heat prep. So mm-hmm. she emailed me and I said, Hey, Ryan was going to be on the call as well. And I said, Hey, I'll do the consult for free. But um, how about we do a bit of a contra deal? I'll have a chat with Ryan about, you know, getting bigger and getting stronger. And um, and then, I'll, you know, and then I'll give you a, some help on your your heat acclimation. And Ryan's, Ryan's been great. And, um, you know, he's, this is exactly what I'm trying to achieve. And it's it's incredible how much stronger. I mean, I'm not that strong yet, of, of course. But, you know, I, I, I would, um, at the start, I would be struggling, you know, to do a military press of, you know, if I was doing eight or 10 reps, I'd be struggling with just the bar, you know, mm-hmm. but yesterday I did like 35 kilos for 10, 
five sets, you know, so it's a huge difference in terms of how much stronger I am. I mean, but you don't need to be that strong for triathlon. You just need to be, yeah. you just need to be strong, strong enough. And, um, but yeah, it's been cool. And it's funny because with swim training, one of the, one of the things that triathletes often talk about is that they say they're scared of putting on weight, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like having been now someone who's trying to put on weight, it it's is really difficult, hard to put on weight. And like, if to, the, the calorie surplus has to be very substantial, right? And to put on the substantial, to, for, to be in a calorie surplus and train 20 mm. hours a week mm. is never going to happen I unless know. you are eating ridiculous amounts of food. You know, just, yep. I mean, even now I'm, I'm trying to do 3,000 to 3,500 calories a day. And um, it's really hard. It's really hard to do um, with eating clean, you know, eating well. It's um, It's been interesting. You- so there's a couple of uh, peers of yours who have taken this route. Jess Towell, do you remember Jess? Um, no, I don't she, she was Jess. in the she was in the talent program that Jack and I were running in Leeds. She went to Loughborough a bit. Maybe she was a, a year or two behind you. But Maybe yeah, she was a bit. She, she ended yeah. up in she ended up in Dubai. She's a champion CrossFitter now. Wow! And, uh, you wow. should see some of the videos of her doing Olympic snatches. They're amazing. Great yeah, technique. Yeah, amazing. And then Alice Hector, who you remember, is a top yeah, physique so I've, competitor now. I've had a few now. back and forth with Alice. Um, yeah, so we we messaged each other a bit, and I was asking, and I got introduced to Mark, Mark yeah. Calfrey. Yeah, um, we had, so I had we, Mark, Mark, and Alice on the podcast. It was great. Oh, very good, very good. Yeah, so I had a few chats with Mark, and uh, mm. yeah, he's a yeah, he, he's a he's obviously a very experienced cat in this space. So yeah, it's been great. I mean, the th- the <laughs> thing is, is that what I've really enjoyed about it, um, Woody, is that I've gone from you know in in, in endurance space. I know a lot. I know almost everything there is to know about endurance when it comes mm. to nutrition, when it comes to training. You know, I've been in this space for for so long, but in this space, I don't really know that much, and I, I feel like a total newbie. So it's been it's been yeah. really nice learning a lot about it. You know, and um, I'm just wow. kind of starting from scratch. I'm looking forward to the Instagram photos of you posing on stage and getting all the fake tan on. <laughs> that, that is something that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the main the main thing for me is I want to. It's a longevity thing, right? Is that, yeah. you know, between I'm now 40, once you get to 50, all that happens is you lose muscle. So my aim is to be between now and 50 to get as much mass I can have, you know, because mm. then the sarcopenia is going to happen. So you want to start at 50 at a very strong, big, more muscular form, right? Because you're only going to lose muscle over time. But if you get there with, if you get to 50 with muscle, you can try and maintain it. But to build muscle after you get to that, it's going to be very hard. So the aim is that, you know, a bit stronger, more muscle, and then um, and then uh, and then hold it as I get over fifty, and also scare away all about my daughter's um, boyfriends as well. Which is let, let me tell you, Dan, you can still build muscle at sixty. It is a bit harder, and um, yeah, yeah, you, you've got to eat even more protein because obviously your body isn't quite as efficient at processing it. But you you can still do it. Um, yeah. you, you're gonna be oh, the other the other character you could be taken after his Nick Bear, you know, the bodybuilder then turned to marathon running and yeah, 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 he, he yeah. calls himself a hybrid athlete now. And that seems yeah. to work pretty well for him. I think he went sub three on a marathon. Yeah. He went, he went two for two thirty nine, but yeah, I mean the, that, that will be the ultimate aim is that once I get, once I get to the size and the strength or the size that I, I'm happy with, I'll, I will then start moving more back mm. into like, do, mm. I mean, I'm still doing, I'm still doing um, aerobic exercise, you know, mostly one thing a day, but I'm just keeping it between 30 and 30 minutes to an hour each time. And then, um, so I'd usually do like my routine at the moment is a 
30 minute run into the gym or a 30, 30 to one hour indoor bike into a gym, you know, just to keep that ticking over and doing one, one VO2 max bike a week. So, which has been impressive because my powers on the bike is really high <laughs> because yeah. I'm a bit heavier. <laughs> we, we had a conversation when you were in Leeds. Do you remember that? All the time, all those years ago, you said to me, Wardy, if I'm 73 kilos, I swim and bike really well. But I don't run very well. If I'm 71 kilos, I run really well, but I don't swim and bike well. So I've got yeah, to find yeah. that sweet spot in the middle. So exactly, I, yeah. I should imagine yeah. your running's gone downhill a bit then. A but lot, not that yeah. Much. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not as enjoyable as it was. But hey, uh, you know, you gotta do with it. I hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot. If you aren't already a regular listener, I hope you feel you might come back. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you know whenever a new episode arrives. I publish these twice a week, ad-free, and with the mission of improving the health and performance of endurance athletes around the world. And to help me, I'd love it if you could share the episode with one person you think could benefit. If you have a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Okay? Let's get back to the show. Well, do you know what? That's a rabbit hole that I didn't think would be disappearing down. So that was really <laughs> enjoyable. Um, yeah. Let's let's go back to the uh, let's go back to the triathlon stuff. Right. You've got an eight twenty four under your belt, and then you do an eight eighteen. My next question is how how much capacity did you have for improvement there from physiology alone? You know, is there is there any way you could nudge anything up or have you reached that and it's down to some other little more nuanced changes and tweaks to other things? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, the obvious thing is that as you get, as you get more and more progressed and you go, you go further down the line of how good you are, right. The, obviously the, the tweaks in physiology from thresholds or whatever it might be, whatever, whatever, say your economy, your VT1, your VT2, your VO2 max, whatever, whatever the determinant of, physiology for success you can talk about i think they can all move slightly right they can all move just a little bit whether it's even your durability or whatever it might be mm -hmm. but the, the thing is is that at that level a small difference makes a big difference you know especially in terms of the outcome because you are talking about very small differences whereas at the, the early age group levels um you make big differences but they don't they're not actually as meaningful because you know you, you make a big difference you go from being hundredth to a hundred and to eightieth, you know, doesn't really make you know, it's not that much of a difference, you know. Um, but at that level, small differences do make a big difference. But then so I do think you can make you can make small differences in your physiology with training, but and those small differences can be quite meaningful differences. Um, but then on top of that, it's often a lot easier to also look at your equipment and uh, as well because you can you can change your you know, you could try, say you just talk about FTP. You can train your FTP, and at my level, you might improve by five watts or ten watts, which is quite a lot of training to to do that. Mm -hmm. Which is which is which can be a big difference. But you can go to a wind tunnel and you could get thirty watts improvement yeah. over the space of an hour. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, I think the technical side of the equipment becomes a little bit more um, key as well as you as you know, it's just as you get into the pointy end. I I mean, obviously, you've got. A a grasp that's better than you know 99.9% .9 of triathletes out there about some of the more scientific ways to improve your physiology now altitude heat 
yeah some of the some of the tweaks that we've talked about in previous podcasts with your nutrition which have firstly how do you identify where your limiters are you know did you identify that you could be faster in the swim is was it on the bike and was it through um aerodynamic changes is it on the run and being more efficient or stronger you talked about the the strength training you'd done there um or is it in some of those other little things you know spending more time sleeping at altitude yeah um i mean the, the obvious place to start is always you go to the, you, i mean i always start in the lab right and i look at i'll just look at different areas i mean but for me for me um my power like i intuitively felt that my um my my aerodynamics wasn't very good because my power has always been very high mm-hmm. you know and I, and and i always felt there was a bit of a bit of a disparity um bit of a difference between what the power is doing and the speed so one of the things i did do is when i was in england the year before um when i was in england i did go to a silverstone wind tunnel and get some testing done and you know i made some big improvements there um but you know in reality if you think about what i said before and what my conversation with Thorsten was, I felt that all I had to do was my 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 aim was to try and get to the same the same um, condition as I was in Kona 2018 that 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 sort of condition, and then work on a few technical things, which would be um, you know the, mainly the position on the bike, faster shoes, whatever it might be, you know those sorts of things. I think was my kind of the way I I, I approached it mainly. Okay. Um, I knew I knew I was I knew I was on though because I did I did um uh, before Kona I did this session that was like three three k's off the bike and I remember the exact exact times I did for those three three k's and just before California I did that exact same session and I did it um, quicker mm-hmm. so I knew it was um I was ready for some some action come uh, come race day. Did you spend much time in Kona before California? I was there for two weeks. Okay, so not so not 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 really long enough to get the benefits of the the heat and humidity, which which could could make a difference to performance. So so because I went I went there with Chelsea on on her training camp um, in September. Then I came back to New Zealand. Okay. Yeah. So and I and I think it did make a big difference. Yeah, I think it was very beneficial. I mean, you can get some good adaptations in two weeks. Mm. Do you think heat's more? Do you think heat's better adapter than for performance and altitude, or have they both got validity? Depends on the person. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some people seem to adapt better to heat. Some people seem to adapt better to altitude. Mm. Um, I've always felt that heat's a bit better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, w- I went, I did an altitude stint in Saint Moritz, mm-hmm. and um, can't really say I felt. I mean, it, what? It's not that high for one. It's only one thousand eight hundred meters. So that's probably part of it. But people do go to St. Maurice and think they feel the benefit. Mm. But I can't say that I really felt the benefit of being um, being there. Did, were you doing any trickery with your nutrition? Um, I mean, I so I always I always get blood tests before I get my iron levels, and I will follow the guidelines of ferritin and iron that you should take the supplementation. So there's there's guidelines out there of how much you can take based on your baseline iron levels, and I followed those those guidelines. My iron was already very high anyway so i didn't really need to do very much um but yeah i didn't i just i i followed the supplementation the supplement guidelines um and just ate normally really i was very hungry though i ate a lot of food and which is not a good which is not very good when you're living in st moritz because it's really expensive (laughs) right and and what about when you were back in new zealand i mean are you still following the low carb high fat oh yeah yeah that's definite definite yeah I, i still follow the exact same 
nutritional mm-hmm. ru- routine and um i have done yeah i've always followed that so yeah okay so you've got all the preparation that you've done you know making sure you get to the start line like you said there in the same shape that you, uh, as near as possible to when you're in kona what about what happens on race day you know the things that you can control did you make any tweaks to your pacing or your nutritional strategies at all you know, I I didn't. I mean, it sounds really boring, right? But um, I um, the I followed the exact same nutritional strategies as I have for every single Ironman I've ever done in my life. You know, mm-hmm. now, and I think that which is a lower lower on the carb front, so fifty grams per hour on the bike, and then on the run I took one gel and what I could at the aid stations. You know, I just mm-hmm. grabbed grabbed the drinks and that was that. Um, and uh, that that's the exact same strategies I've always taken. And pay, you know, paced within my heart rate and my power zones that, and pace zones that I thought I could hold. You know, I aimed, I aimed to hold between two hundred and seventy and two hundred and eighty watts on the bike, which I held two hundred and seventy-seven. Um, and um, and on the run, I was aiming for three fifty-fives, which I which I held as well. So um, that was that was it. I mean, I got to, uh, I got, I, I had it on the run. I was holding three fifty-fives. I lost a little bit between 20 and 30 but it was mainly the weather that did that it was just so wet and so so slippy and then the rain stopped and the last 10k was actually my fastest 10k so i went 39.05 for the last 10k that those uh pacings that you talk about that um, are they close to your fat max and um, yeah they're, they're they're very close to my fat max yeah they're in fact i almost on my fat max yeah my fat max on the bike is 270 watts so Okay. Do you think that's an important figure, maybe more important for folks to understand than their ultimate FTP and their ultimate VO2 max for running? Yeah, I think the. I mean, the, I think the main the main numbers you have to know is um, you want to know where your fat max is, but you want to know where your VT your VT one VT one power is and where your VT one heart rate is because um, and also how it feels, right? <laughs> your RPE of how it feels in that around that intensity and. Um, I mean the fact. I mean, you want to be doing Ironman as close to your fat max intensity as you possibly can, and usually that is around your VT one anyway for most people. If it's not, then um, you know you can you want to do some bit of training around that you know somewhat glycogen depleted state to try and build up the build up where your fat max is so it gets closer to your VT one. Um, so so yeah, they're the, they're the three two numbers you want to know. I mean. You need to know the heart rate as well, though, because I think that's a lot of athletes. They just look at the power, and then you know, come race day, they're sat at the power, but the heart rate's 15, 20 beats higher than it than it should be at VT one. And then it's like, well, it's not just about power, right? You have to make sure that everything's in in line. So, um, so you need to know all those numbers. I think we might have talked about that before in specific relation to Kona. Is that the heat and the humidity there and the excitement around the race means that you know, if you're trying to hit your power, your heart rate's probably going to be a lot higher and you're going to overheat. So yeah. you can't rely on power, particularly as the race goes on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you need to, you know, Stephen Siler calls it the father, the son and the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever heard him say that, which is yep. the power is your, the father, the the son is the heart rate and the Holy Ghost is how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's such a good, it's such a good message that every athlete, wants to everyone wants simplicity but unfortunately it's not that way you ha- you have to be in tune with all three and you know even with me like i'm if i actually really in my hand, heart of hearts think about it i don't actually look at my power and my pace that much you know i'm not i'm not like constantly 
looking down, looking down at what at the, I, I, there's a, a lot of aspect of it is on feel as well, but I'm just kind of being, you know, I'm, I'm using the, um, the powers, the kind of the, the gold starting point, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think as time goes on, I look at it less and less and less, you know, I really, I look at it probably more in the first 25% of each discipline and less in the last 25% of each discipline, because by that point, you're just kind of getting more into the feeling. You're just kind of going with it. So, yeah, it's always good to hear elite athletes and performers talk about how important RPE is, but also how important it is in your training to, to be able to link, you know, I'm feeling like this now, what's my heart rate, what's my power. And that's, it's actually a nice little game to play, isn't it? It's, I want yeah. to go out of this power, but can I keep the power covered up and use my feel or use my heart rate and see how close I yeah. can get to that? And, and I think a lot, I think we live in a day where lots of athletes, they, they can't do anything without having a number associated with it. Mm-hmm. I had a age group athlete, a coach the other day, and it was, um, they were, they were doing an 8k, an eight kilometer running race at the weekend. And they said, and they asked me, they said, what pace did I hold for the 8k? I'm like, just run it as fast as you can. Yeah. But what heart heart rate is that at? Yeah, but what heart rate? What pace should it be? It's like, yeah, this is if you're asking those questions, you're you've lost you've lost it a little bit. You know, you've lost the feel Mm -hmm. and the element of racing. You know, of course, especially over those short distances, it becomes more important over something that's going to be taking you eight to twelve hours, whatever it might be. Um, But you know, then if you if you if you're bringing that mindset into five k's, eight k's, ten k's. It's um not it's not the way forward. Yeah, well, I had the same. Somebody said to me, "What what pace should I run the park run?" I'm like, "It's five k, man. Just just yeah, yeah. keep going until you feel like you're yeah, gonna die, so and that's go. about the right pace." Hey, yeah, <laughs> pace it pace it as fast as you can. <laughs> yeah, if you it, well, what happens if I fail? Well, then you fail, and you'll have learned a valuable lesson for next time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it doesn't matter, does it? No, not so. really. No. Um, we talked earlier about whether it where the time was important or satisfaction was gained from getting the execution right. But on race day, although you're chasing a fast time, are you looking at the clock constantly? Are you making sure you just do everything right? You get your pacing right. So you're not looking at the overall time. You're just making sure I need to be right on the button here. I need to be right yeah. on the nail there. And yeah. then whatever happens after that, it'll just be exactly. an, an accumulation that's exactly of all the that. Way. Yeah. That's exactly the way I do it. I did. I, and I tell all my athletes to race as well is, um i will always um you've got to focus on the process as i always like to say is like you mm-hmm. focus on nutrition you focus on the pacing you focus on your heart rate and then it, it'll be what it'll be because if you i mean if it happened to be a super windy crazy crazy day right um you you know you, you if i did the same if i did the exact power and paces and heart rates that i planned to do but it was an hour slower then you know you can't do anything about that that's the end of it you know all you can do is what you are capable of and um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't, obviously I, I got off the bike. I knew that it was a, around a 420. So I knew that. Um, and then, and then you just, you just get, I mean, I, it's not like, you know, say I got off the bike and it was a 440. I can't say, oh, okay, now I'm going to have to run 20 minutes quicker. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know it's not going to happen. It's the, you know, it's just the, the end of it. So. Yeah, well, how yeah. many you you and I have probably both seen so many athletes that keep looking at the clock and because of weather conditions or that they're, they're feeling like they're behind and trying to continue to chase that time. And then they just blow up and never get, never get to the finish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think, um, I think as always, it's focused on the process. And I think that, um, that mantra goes beyond training Mm -hmm. and racing. It goes into training as well, right? Is that, you know, you just have to day in, day out, be consistent, focus on the process, enjoy your training, 
Mm-hmm. And the rest will take care of itself as long as you're just focusing on the process of training and recovery, um, stimulus and response. But let me let me just rewind to that nutrition thing. You said that during the race you, you're consuming around 50 grams of carbs per hour. Do you think that the emphasis that you've had over you know the last few years on the low carb diet means that and and sort of training getting very efficient at training around that fat max means you need to consume less carbs to get the right performance on race day 100% yeah definitely i mean there's um my fat metab- my fat metabolism is exceptionally high so it's it's basic maths is that i just need less carbohydrates and mm-hmm. and even and you know and and let's just and this is the this is the the consideration that you know everyone who's listening to this has to remember is that you know i will ask athletes i'll say why why do you take carbohydrates on race day right mm-hmm. and the and the inevitable answer is i'm trying to preserve my muscle glycogen which is absolutely it's the biggest untruth that we that is out there in um, in ex- in sports physiology and endurance sports so taking carbohydrates during exercise does nothing to your muscle glycogen depletion whether we take carbohydrates or not the muscle glycogen depletion is exactly the same. It's identical. The thing it's doing is it's maintaining liver glycogen and therefore maintaining blood glucose. So most fatigue comes from um, hyperglycemia, so lowering of the blood glucose, which is why, you know, if you're starting glycogen depleted with a low liver glycogen, you'll, bo- you'll bonk very quickly because your liver cannot maintain your blood glucose levels. So Think about someone like me who's got a high fat metabolism, that's, which is one of the only ways you can actually prevent muscle glycogen and make it go slow. If you've got a high fat metabolism, your muscle glycogen will, will stay higher for longer. But also, it means that I'm maintaining a much higher blood glucose level. So the amount of carbohydrates that I need to take in mm. is only corresponding to the amount of carbohydrates I need to take to maintain um, my blood glucose. And at that rate, um, you know, 270 watts and taking 50 grams an hour, I'm I'm almost starting the run close to full, you know, close to full stocked up. So then I don't actually have to take that much. And I know if you saw there was a big slow twitch forum about me taking one gel and there was a lot of speculation and misunderstanding mm-hmm. from people who don't really understand physiology. Um, but if you, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that you do, if you look at the research, the more carbohydrate you take, two things happen. One is the, the greater the intake of carbohydrate, the further redu- the reduction in your fat metabolism, the higher the use of your exogenous carbohydrate stores. And go really high, the greater the use in your endogenous carbohydrate stores as well. So it's actually a worse thing to do. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then and also the more carbohydrate you take, the, the inefficiency of oxidation goes up. So the more you take, the less you oxidize in terms of a percentage of the total. Mm. So... Um, so it, I've, this is one of the things that I'm writing about at the moment is I'm just writing a big um, analysis on all the carbohydrate studies to show this this very point, and we're going to publish it in a in a paper. Right. A so, so beef uh, of mine. <laughs> so there's there's a whole load of questions whirring around my head, which feel I feel like it's going to take us another hour and a more to get through. So maybe that's another podcast that we do once you've got that data out, because I know there's lots of people saying, "Well, hold on a minute. What about all these studies now that saying?" 
I need to train my body to not just take 90 grams of carbohydrates per hour, but 120 grams. It seems like what you're saying is the more you take, the more your body wants carbohydrates. So it doesn't use the fat stores. Is that right in a nutshell? It's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the reason is the reason. Give me the, give me the masters now. The body's quite smart, you know? You know, you, you, the more you take, the lower your fat method, the lower you burn fat, you end up in exactly the same position. And, um, and this is the, and I always challenge people to say, you show me the study, you show me the study where taking gut training, taking more carbohydrates during training improves your Mm. carbohydrate oxidation levels because there isn't one. There's studies that are out there that show it improves your tolerance, your ability to tolerate more carbs. Yes. Mm but it doesn't actually have any physiological effect on the oxidation. And I think we're living in a world now where we're getting confused between tolerance and performance. Just because you can tolerate the carbs doesn't mean you're therefore performing better. And in fact, the research would actually show the opposite. The more carbs you take, it's doing the opposite. It's in- increasing. So there's a study that was done by um, Andrew King and you know, it's in t- 120 grams versus 90 grams of carbs, mm. 120 grams increased your endogenous carbohydrate usage so your intern so that's the thing that we're trying to preserve right we're trying to preserve endogenous carbohydrate stores once you went over to the higher amounts it increased your endogenous carbohydrate stores so it's the it's the exact opposite of actually what we're trying to achieve and um and just to finish off it does all come back to the blood glucose and, and this is a theory totally speculative but my speculative opinion on this is that the gut training and tra- using lots of carbohydrates during training means that your brain becomes dependent on having very high levels of blood glucose when training. Mm. So when it comes to racing and you have a drop in your blood glucose to what's probably within a normal range, you suddenly actually feel quite bad because you're so used to having exceptionally high levels of, of blood glucose when, when racing. And that's, that's my kind of, and it's a brain derived, derived thing. And, um, right. And I, that's, that's, I'm not saying that's true. So I'm not, you know, that's my speculation on on it at the moment. Because of course, as we know, that the brain requires glycogen entirely, doesn't it? Exclusively yeah. to, to so if you exactly. I suppose it's like a drug, if you feed it more, it wants more. Exactly, for sure. And then that's the and I think there's a bit I do think there's a bit of a loop there. So which is great for those who are pushing the high carb because you know, the more you the more you give you during training, the more you need it during racing and the more you want it all the time. So, well, it sounds like it sounds like those other people who push the le- less legal substances, isn't it? The more you get of it, the more you want it, you know, and we'll keep and we'll keep some, dependent on it. We'll keep but yeah, supply, I mean, but, yeah. um, this is, I mean, you know, you wanted to talk a little bit about um, about, you know, my research. And that's one of the things that we're, we're currently working on. And, and yeah, you know, I was just looking at some of the, the papers that we published yesterday and one of the the first thing, so you can look at basically how much carbohydrates you take versus your oxidation efficiency to so how much you're oxidized. So, you know, the more you take, the worse your efficiency in terms of oxidation. So you're talking, you know, if you're, talk, if you're taking 120 grams, you're probably losing about 30% of that, you know, in terms of what you're actually oxidizing. Um, and, you know, and, and if, it's at, if you're taking 60 grams, it's probably like 10%. There's always, a, there is always a bit of a, a loss. Mm. What we also found is that it's very dependent on exercise intensity. So the higher you go in the exercise intensity, the lower the oxidation efficiency as well. So, you know, that's why people in Kona and athletes, when the stress is mm-hmm. higher, the intensity is a little bit higher because of the heat, mm-hmm. you, oxi- you, you, you oxidize less carbohydrates. And and this is why, and I think this is why um, the, the real high carb consumers who are trying to consume 120 grams during race, racing now, 
there's a high degree of inconsistency around racing because you're very dependent on on your ability of the gut to to use the carbohydrates and deal with them properly you're very dependent on the, the up and down kind of swings and troughs of the blood glucose and um yeah and i hope um and i think that's part of it whereas you know my racing has been so so consistent and i think it's been consistent because of the lower carbohydrate use and the stable blood glucose through racing well you know whatever the whatever other folks are saying dan um as a as previous guest of mine has said dr tommy wood you know if you're doing it and you're getting great success with it then nobody can really argue with that can they it's what <laughs> you, you found what works for you and um i think that's something that you've you've said today and i think you've said it previously is we all still have to work out our own individual puzzle to get the best performance you know you can't you can't always rely on what the research says um exactly and that's one of the things that, and i mean and i say this this is what works for me and, and i and i think you know, I do think that, you know, we, we can de- depend on the research, but it all comes back to the diet as well, right? Is that, mm. you know, there's so much um, talk on the internet about different types of diets, you know, and then, you know, it's vegan, it's carnivore, it's keto, it's paleo. Um, but at the end of the day, I, and and then, and then people say, well, the randomized controlled human studies say this, and this study says that, but, you know, everyone's an individual. And, and of course, studies are dependent on averages and norms right and there's always someone who sits outside that norm for sure you know yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah well we said, so you can't, we said and i think even even those the, even the 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 academics who go on media and pull out all these studies and saying this is what the studies are saying i think it's also a disservice to a lot of a lot of diets that are probably good for some people because they'll mm-hmm. they'll dismiss something like a carnivore diet um, which I'm not saying is a great diet, but I bet you for some people it's very, and I'm sure for very effective, it's it's very effective for some people, you know. So to go on there and completely dismiss it and saying the randomized human control studies don't say this is um, it, it's not it's not right, you know. And I, I think I think we do have to just take everything as as, as an individualized approach. Well, I, I'm a great fan in in encouraging people to experiment. You know, as long as they're sensible and mindful about it, and they reflect on what they're doing, and give it give it plenty of time. Don't just give it the six weeks of, of some of these studies. Give it a few months because it takes the body that time for cellular changes to happen, doesn't it? And then reflect on it. And unless you're eating poisonous mushrooms or something, it's dangerous. It's probably never never really going to have some yeah. deleterious yeah, exactly. effects. It's gonna it's gonna have an effect that's not quite optimal. And then you can change and you learn something and you change something else. But n equals one is probably the most you know. The most solid that's experiment. At the end have, of the day, it? that's the most important thing. You know, yeah. you know, I've heard of people doing quite wacky diets who have cured eczema. You know, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, yeah. Know, and stuff like this. And it's like, well, if you feel great, and you, your eczema's gone. Then who am I to argue that the studies don't show it's effective? Yeah. You know? So, like the outliers that you talk about. What just before you go down? What what else is happening? You you said that you'd taken a, a break really from developing and expanding anything while you were racing, but now you're back at it. Um. Any any new projects coming up for Endure IQ? Yeah, we've got a new course coming out this month. Um, and guess what it's on? Strength training. Oh, <laughs> good lad. Good lad. So I'm not running this one. I've got my good friend, Dr. Adam Story, who's um, he's, he's, one of, he's quite world-renowned in the area of strength training. He's works with New Zealand Athletics. Um, Valerie Adams, he's with me at Emirates Team New Zealand. Um and so he's running, running, running that one. Um, and we've got loads of strength videos. We've got 
lots of programs associated with it, all the science behind the strength training. So that's coming out um, end of the month. Um, and we continue to like grow the community really of, of um, you know, our squad's going strong. So we're, um, you know, that's, um, we've got that. And then we also have um, our global racing teams just being launched. So that's more of a, like a, like just a, it's it's just a low, it's just like a racing team that um, people can join with discounts on various products and be a bit, you know, have, be part of a bigger community. So I, I was really pleased to discover that um, I'm a member of National Strength and Conditioning Association for my strength and conditioning stuff. And I have to do um CPD yeah. research every three years. So I have, to, I have to do some online courses, go to conferences, do some quizzes, that sort of thing. So I'm looking through these courses I could take. Well, what do I find? Endure IQ is associated yeah, yeah. with that. So uh, for anybody that's a strength coach as well as uh, an avid triathlete, um, that might be one of your CPD options uh, going forward. Yeah. So we, we, our courses there with um, BASIS, so British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences, mm-hmm. with ACSM, National Strength and Conditioning Association, and um, USA Triathlon. So they they all um, they all line up for the CPDs of those. So yeah, they're, they're, um, they're only for our main courses. So we've got LET 101, which is all about nutrition, LET 102, which is training, mm. LET 103, which is heat acclimation, and LET 104, which is um, athlete monitoring. So we have we have all that, and um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been going. Um, we're good, and I'm looking forward to getting this next one out there. Is this going to be LDT one hundred and five then? It's it's three hundred and one because it's a slightly different okay, um, different different mantra, different angle, you know. So well, Dan, it's been uh, it's been great to catch up with you again. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. As I said, we disappeared down a couple of rabbit holes that I wasn't totally expecting, but were really enjoyable, particularly to talk about strength training and. Uh, um, that might be something we can revisit. And if maybe we should get you and Alice on together and you could talk about life after triathlon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there is Alice is Alice is doing the um, she's she's actually getting on stage. There's, there's no chance you've ever seen me in a pair of uh, those tight, tight little pants and being on stage. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna happen. We'll see. Um, we'll see. You, um, you, Ryan Hall, and uh, Alice Hector, that'll be a really good uh, little um trio to have on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. Dan, right, thanks, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, as always, to Dan for being my guest on the show this week. I always enjoy having him on the show, and he has so many nuggets of gold to share. I hope you've got a long list of them that you can try in your own training and life. Now, if you haven't already seen that we do these, please check out my new bite-sized podcast episodes which are released every Saturday. We've just started these again after a break for the festive season and they're around 10 minutes in length and I share some insights on very specific topics. Please also make sure you check out all of the show notes for links to those podcasts and some of the topics that Dan and I talk about in today's episode. And if you could share this episode with just one person that you think could benefit, I'd be, well, I'd be blown away quite frankly and if you've got a couple more minutes perhaps you can leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've got to the end of this episode okay that's all for this week next week i'll have another great guest and i hope that you are able to join me and in the meantime please remember to check out those bite-sized episodes on saturday